Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. And I also really want to destigmatize manipulation. I manipulate every now and then, okay? Mm-hmm. Manipulation is an unconscious process. Not everyone is, is there yet at the point of being able to look at their own behavior because it's, that's too scary. I believe that I don't have BPD anymore. I don't meet the criteria anymore. And I have done that purely through self-awareness, through looking back at my childhood and proving to myself that I'm not crazy. It's not that these parents are bad. Anger is the first step of grieving. We cannot bypass the anger. Connecting people with their own agency is the most beautiful thing you can do. And then I said, because I think you might have borderline personality disorder. And then she came back and she said, so you're insinuating that I'm borderline. She was, she was furious. I asked her this question, and it's a very pure question, which connects you to your agency. What is wrong with board having borderline? Welcome, everyone, to Back from the Borderline. If you're a brand new listener, welcome. If you're a returning listener, I'm so glad you're back. Today is a special episode, and I already feel all the feels, as you all know. I have such a special feeling about how much hope and help this particular interview is going to provide. Today's guest is Stephanie Cariña. She is a clinical psychologist and trauma and personality specialist. Stephanie received her MSc in clinical psychology and a postgraduate degree in clinical psychology at the University of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. She is a registered CBT, EMDR, and MBT therapist. She's also trained in schema-focused therapy and working psychodynamically. Stephanie mentions that her mission is to help people connect to their true selves, to trust their intuition, and become empowered. Much of her wisdom comes from her deep understanding of the way people behave, our unconscious behaviors that keep us stuck and experiencing a life that feels like it's not worth living. So grab some tea, relax, cuddle up, and get ready to go on a journey with Stephanie and I. I hope you learned so much and get as much out of this as I did. Let's do it. This podcast is not a substitute for professional treatment of BPD. I am not a psychiatrist, a therapist, or a doctor. I'm a human being sharing the highs and lows of my own recovery. Expect mature subject matter. Probably put the kids away. Above all else, this is a place for getting real, so triggering topics will come up. All right, if you're into it, let's get into it. 
You have entered Back from the Borderline, the place to be for the tea on all things BPD. I'm your host, Molly. After my diagnosis, I decided to make it my life's mission to become an emotional grown-up. This marked the beginning of a journey of self-discovery and research that resulted in massive mindset shifts. The more I learned, the less control my BPD symptoms had over my life. On this podcast, I'll be serving up all the tips, tricks, and vulnerable conversations you'll need to deepen and expand your own recovery process as you join me in mine. You are not alone. Together, let's design a life free of BPD. All right, time to settle in and get ready to absorb today's episode. Welcome to Back from the Borderline. I'm here with Stephanie, and I would just like you, Stephanie, to introduce yourself and your qualifications to the listeners before we begin. Yes. Okay. Thank you, Molly. Thank you so much for having me. My name is uh, Stephanie Carina, also known as Psychologist Stephanie on Instagram and on Facebook. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I'm specialized in trauma and personality. I'd love to start out with what is your experience with working with patients with BPD and how do you view the diagnosis? Working with people with BPD is never boring, first of all. (laughs) It's never boring, first of all. What I've noticed with people with BPD is what I really love about them. I empathize so much because of the level of which they are hurting. Apparently, from all the personality disorders, two out of the nine, or I don't know exactly how many there are, suffer most. And borderline personality disorder is one of them. The other one is the avoidant personality uh, personality disorder. So I really empathize and I really think this is like um, top sport, I call it, having borderline personality disorder. It is hard. It is very tough. Um, So I feel for for, for people who have these these symptoms. And um, what I've noticed is that it can be tough working with them sometimes because they can be very sensitive because of basically their childhood wounds, distrust, uh, emotion regulation uh, issues. Mm -hmm. The beautiful part about working with people with borderline personality disorder is that they really need, but also really appreciate 100% honesty. And they are honest as well. And then if you dare to be honest, because it can be tricky sometimes, if you formulate things in a little bit in a way that can trigger them, then you might end up making them angry. But if you stay calm and really try to explain what you mean, then you have the most amazing connection because they feel so hurt and they feel they have the, the need so badly to be understood to have that connection, to understand themselves. So that's why I love working with people with borderline. What a beautiful way of describing it. You know, I, I found the same thing with my own therapist where she can tell me some really harsh truths, but I know because she has a a love for me, like a therapist, a client love, of course, like she knows I'm a good person. She points out when I'm being too critical of myself or when I am not living in reality. The one thing I've been struggling with more than anything else, paranoid thoughts with BPD. 
I find I, I consider myself to be an extremely intelligent person, a pretty self-aware person, but I often convince myself of these kind of paranoid delusions. For example, if I say something to my partner and he doesn't give me the reaction I have in my mind, I actually can start thinking, oh, he doesn't want to be with me. Uh, oh, uh, I could go on and on about these examples, but I struggle so much. We just had an argument last week and he said, Molly, I struggle so much validating you sometimes because I can clearly see that what you're saying is not real, even though I know it feels so real for you. Mm. But he's like, all I can do in those moments is shut down because you're not living in reality. And it makes me feel scared in those moments. Mm. And then, of course, I go, oh my God, what's wrong with me? I can't see reality. And I think quite often people with BPD, it's like we we believe so much these things in our mind. And then when we find out that they're not real, it can be so isolating and scary. And then we feel like our brains are broken. And mm -hmm. do you experience that with your clients? And what is your reaction to that? Yeah. So that can be very scary when you feel, I hear that often with clients, when they realize that they cannot trust their own perception. That can be very unsettling. How can you battle that? What is important is that you learn to find some kind of inner stability mm. and to regulate your own emotions. But first of all, I wanted to say that my compliments for how you handled it, because it can. what can happen when you get that feedback and also how your, your partner handled that, how he gave you that feedback that is high level yeah, he, because he he's didn't amazing. insult you. He didn't insult you. He just gave back. He reflected on the effect it had on him. And he used very beautiful words. This scares me. The way you behave now scares me. And I shut down. So that at least now you get a, a mirror and understand what the effect is of your behavior to him, mm -hmm. which allows you to self-reflect. The problem is, so that's a great, great step. So that's the first part. You become self-aware. What, what you often see with people with borderline, what happens then is they go to, when they become self-aware, unfortunately, they take it so personally that they go towards the, I'm a bad person. Mm -hmm. That's what I it struggle goes, with the most. It goes from black, from white to black. There is no, I'm an okay person, but my behavior was a little bit disproportionate now. So let me try to figure out what it was and I can improve it. That would be an ideal, logical, healthy response. Unfortunately, someone with borderline personality disorder will struggle with that, will go immediately to the, so I'm a bad person and they lose themselves in that. That's exactly what happens to me in those moments. And, and it's difficult then to then our partners, when we react that way, because I have in the past where I'm like, wow, I guess I'm just a, I guess I'm just a horrible person then. Right. It's this exactly. One. And then our partner who mine is like a more avoidant style person. He goes, okay, now it's not safe to express my feelings around my partner. Mm -hmm. And because she will react in this way. And so therefore I'm just going to shut down. And that's what yes. I experienced with our dynamic. And so now I'm working so hard on trying to create a safe space for him to share how he's feeling. And then also for me to realize like 
that's what it comes down to exactly what you said, where it's like, I'm a human. I, mm-hmm. I make mistakes, but the good thing about me is that I try to understand him and I'm trying mm-hmm. to give myself those wins, you know, rather than going straight to, I'm a horrible person. Because when I say that out loud, just because I'm working on overcoming this emotional trauma, that's a mm-hmm. good thing. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to fix this overnight. And I hope that mm-hmm. the listeners can take that on because I know so many of us with BPD will do the petulant child thing of being like, I guess I'm just a horrible person then. You know, that mm-hmm. doesn't get us anywhere. It doesn't yeah. get, get us closer to connecting. No, we need to understand this, that that reaction actually is a form of manipulation. Mm-hmm. And I also really want to destigmatize manipulation. I manipulate every now and then. Mm-hmm. Okay. Manipulation is an unconscious process. Manipulation means that we don't have another way of regulating our emotions or ourselves because we need to have some sense of control. Uh, A response like, so I must be a terrible person uh, is an unconscious um, response, but that is, it's the manipulation aspect that shuts the other person down. And you know what, Stephanie? It's what my dad did growing up. When I was the difficult child, I was the too much child that said, this is not right. I don't like how you're acting. I clocked as a child. This is not how you're supposed to act as my parent. And I called it out and my dad would say, oh, well, I guess I'm a horrible father then. Right? Yeah. And so I see this now and I'm going, oh, shit. Oh, shit. I'm doing it. Yes. And and, uh, thank you so much, Molly, for highlighting this. This is so important. And you know why? Because what I noticed also with my posts is that not everyone is is there yet at the point of being able to look at their own behavior because mm-hmm. it's that's too scary. So apparently yep. you have at least some, I call it inner safe space to be able to go there, but there's many people who don't have that and immediately feel that they call it victim blaming or something. Yep. I used to not have an inner safe space. It's been the hardest work of my whole life getting to the point where I am now because I never would even have believed that I would be where I am now doing this podcast because just four years ago, you know, I was suicidal. I had a string of really unhealthy relationships. Everything was just a huge reaction. Mm. The whole world was out to get me, you know, like, Mm. and I had to sit down and really go, oh, shit, Mm. you know, this is of my own making. And I connected with this. I think it may have been Jordan Peterson and whatever people have to say about Jordan Peterson, his work was very inspirational for me. Mm -hmm. And he said something like he did not have very nice things to say about people with BPD. I hope one day I can interview him. I would love to interview him about borderline, but he did say something that stuck with me that kind of woke me up out of my Mm -hmm. stupor. He said, when a child throws a tantrum, you think, oh, This is kind of annoying, you know, but let's figure it out because they're just a child. But he said, when you see a person with BPD, it's an adult throwing a temper tantrum. It's bloody terrifying. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, I'm not a kid anymore. And I am just throwing temper tantrums my whole Mm -hmm. life. That's terrifying for the people that love me. So do you have an example of what the tantrum looked like? Oh yeah. So many. I mean, and the thing is, is that I think that I have varying levels. And I spoke to my last guest last week, Jared, where he was saying how 
we're really good sometimes at saving our blowups for the people that are close to us. Like yes. people with BPD, I think we often test the people around us and then we use them as our like outlet. And then, for example, I have a high-powered tech job that I work. So no one at my work is ever going to see me lose my shit, right? But mm-hmm. on the same hand, I could get really drunk um, when I'm out with my boyfriend, for example, be completely blacked out, come home and actually say to him, we laugh. Like I was in a cab and I was like, don't you want to fuck me to my boyfriend? And he was like, I do not want to fuck you. (laughs) You're so scary right now. And we got home and I put, I got a backpack and I put, we laugh about it now. I got a backpack and I said, I was going to run away. This is me, fully grown 29 year old woman. I got Mm -hmm. a little backpack, Stephanie. And what did I put in it? Some booty shorts. I put in some little booty shorts and I got my dog and I walked out. And then I remember sitting down on the ground and being like, what now? Where am I going to go? And and how long do I sit outside before I shamefully walk back inside to my boyfriend? That's a temper tantrum, right? Yes. And I walked back inside and then I want to be loved and I want to be reassured in that moment. And Mm -hmm. my God, what do we put our partners through? And then I go back to work on Monday morning and no one knows that I am a hot ass mess behind the scenes. That's a temper tantrum. And that it's also so beautifully described because what is so typical uh, of BPD is that you can have this. I'm not saying it's a mask. It's a professional presentation that you have. And uh, especially when you have been raised with emotionally immature parents who were unpredictable, you will make sure to not show your emotions. So that's, that's your survival mode. So at work, you will be perfect and whatever, whatever. But then uh, not showing your emotions, not being in touch with them means that you're not regulating them either. Means mm. that when it, you're going to be triggered, it's going to be all out there. I thought I was a very emotional person. I thought because I'm very empathetic, I would be yes. there for anyone. And I also realized the other day, I walk around saying that I'm empathetic, but in reality, when I'm triggered... I'm not very empathetic. Being an empathetic person means you can put yourself in that person's shoes and look at what you're you're doing objectively and be like, am I being a supportive partner? Would I be afraid of myself? And sometimes, like you said before, that's really hard to face. It's really mm-hmm. scary to face that mm-hmm. I may Absolutely. be not totally reliable to my partner. And that scares yeah. me. So this is a very important point that you're making. Being emotional and being an empath is not a sign that you're regulating your emotions or that you're in touch with your emotions. It can be the, quite the opposite. <laughs> and so that's very important to, to highlight. I don't um, think people talk about that very often, do they? The I don't think so either. The difference between being an empath and being in touch with your emotions. Because I mm-hmm. think people with BPD, at least for me, when I feel a big emotion coming, it's like... I have no control. It's going to take me with it. And even if it's something as simple as my partner sitting across the couch from me, he's working on something and Mm -hmm. I go, I love you. Do you love me? Do you love me? Like I'll ask him shit like that. And Mm -hmm. he's like, Molly, I show you, I love you. You know, like Mm -hmm. I, I find it so difficult that I have to continually remind you that I love you. And when you get these moments, they're like, do you love me? Do you love me? But it really is the child where I'm like, I need someone to validate me alone. 
Uh huh. And I don't see that as a need norm. Not, I hate the word normal people, but someone who doesn't have the wounds that I have would maybe say, I'm feeling lonely. What can I do to self soothe? What can I do to meet my own needs? I don't have that. No. And it's, and it's, it's not only, it's not only that you need the validation, but probably at that moment when you're asking that, you're also very frightened that he will otherwise abandon you. Even uh, at some point, he will leave you, even if there is no evidence at all, nothing Mm -hmm. points out to that. So you are very frightened and fearful at that moment when asking that. Mm -hmm. What people don't realize is that unfortunately, when we ask for approval or, you know, do you love me and all these things, validation, unfortunately, it has a destructive effect. It has not only the opposite effect on the long term, but it also sends out the message and your partner responded in a a very good way because it's very dangerous if that person will give you the validation. If you will hear, yes, I love you, that is tricky. The reason is that they're then validating that it's correct that you should ask them. Well, the point is, why would I tell you that I love you? You already have all the evidence. So you need to to check your reality instead of just feeding into your core beliefs. That helps me so much because it comes down to DBT stuff too, because my therapist will say things like check the facts, right? And it will help me if in those moments, and I hope this helps a listener out there too, that I know quite often with BPD, we will be kind, we feel a little ambushed by our emotions Mm -hmm. and I'm starting to learn and trying to make friends with my emotions and realize they're here to tell me something about myself and they're they're here to help me. If I'm reacting to them as if they're foreign bodies, like trying to attack me, that's caused a lot of problems in my life. So now mm. if I'm sitting on the couch and I feel the need, because it's, it's, it's an impulsive thing, impulsive mm-hmm. behavior being, like, do you love me? Instead of letting that escape my lips, I could say, mm-hmm. like, check the facts. Is this my mm-hmm. reality? Because I don't realize the impact that has on my partner either. To him, he's going... Why do I need to reassure you of this? Like, have I no. done something wrong? <laughs> and Molly, so you're highlighting now that the effect it has on him. Mm. But do you understand the effect it has on you when you're asking that? <laughs> Probably not. I'm just asking this because that. I think it's very important for people to understand. Mm. So the impact on yourself when asking someone else, do you love me? Do you mm. like me? Mm. Is that you're literally telling yourself you're unworthy and you mm. need uh, external approval. So it's, I, I, I'm a little bit uh, exaggerating now, but I think it's a form of self-harm asking someone, do you love me? Oh, I don't think you're wrong. And you know, Stephanie, mm-hmm. it's really funny because this is the perfect segue because one of the questions I wrote down, a recent post of yours said, we'll tend to seek approval when raised by emotionally immature parents conditionally accepting us. And I wrote, looking back on my life and my struggles with BPD, I can see how much of my time and emotional energy I've spent on approval-seeking behavior. Oh, wow. I wrote this down. I have a few questions about that, but that mm-hmm. is the core of my BPD. Mm-hmm. Seeking outside of myself, having everyone else try to tell me that I'm okay because mm-hmm. somehow – I don't believe that I'm just inherently okay. Mm -hmm. And so my first question for you that I wrote down was, what is conditional acceptance from parents? And what does that look like in childhood? Okay, I love the question. So unconditional acceptance 
is when the parent accepts the child totally for the way they are within certain boundaries. So even when this child starts yelling in a restaurant, for instance, the child is accepted. It's mm -hmm. not shamed. Um, um, so you will perhaps set boundaries towards the child, but for their need, not yes. for their parents' ego or whatever. So, and the child will sense the difference. Okay. How do you know the difference? A child will always sense, a child senses everything, but mm -hmm. um, the point is, will the parent be acting out of their own needs, out mm -hmm. of their own ego? For instance, the more narcissistic parent will act out of um, making the child feel insignificant or you need to perform well, otherwise I won't love you. Or it's um, more the insignificant part. Mm -hmm. From the more borderline type parent, mm -hmm. you will, the child may feel conditionally loved as in, um, as long as, as you don't abandon me, if you don't leave me alone, if you take care of my emotional needs, I will love you. I will mm -hmm. like you. And if you go to your play with your friends now, uh, and you leave me here alone, um, the guilt tripping, then you conditionally accept your child. I love you as long as you don't abandon me, for mm. instance. Mm. I have a borderline uh, father, and mm -hmm. my experience was never that my dad needed me because he had my mom for that. And mm -hmm. my mom was the person who tried to regulate the family system. And I have a lot of resentment against my mom that I've talked to her about where she never protected me from my dad. She explained, I have a memory of my mom telling me that I needed to see my dad's anger as a wave. And she explained to me once when I was young, she said, look, you fight against it too much with your dad. She goes, if you go into the ocean and you fight too hard, you're going to get pulled under and die. And I, Stephanie, have held that so much in my heart where I'm going, you're now I understand why I was attracted to abusive men my whole life because just take it, stop fighting against it. And mm. I was always and Molly, Molly. Mm -hmm. Sorry for interrupting. No, I'm, I'm just, I'm just very curious. Do you remember how that make you made you feel that that reaction? I thought my whole life, this is wrong. This is not how it's supposed to be. When I have a child, I will protect my child. I will. Okay. I yeah. will. I remember so often being in the middle of my dad's rages and looking my mom in the eye as a child mm. and looking at her desperately thinking like, are you going to do something? Mm. But she was so scared of his rages. And I'll be very clear, never was anything physical, but it didn't matter because it was so emotionally abusive that it yeah. was worse. I feel like than being hit. I had all yeah. my physical needs met, all everything, but I felt Absolutely. growing up, I know what's right. I know this is wrong, but everyone yes. around me is telling me, shut up. You're too much and dramatic. And that yeah. fucks me up. <laughs> that's it. Uh, that's the word. It fucks you up. Yes. And, uh, and you know, what's the, 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 the dangerous part. That's why I'm posting on, I call it hidden trauma because <laughs> it's all hidden. Yes. Uh, it's not out there. And your mom's response, with all due respect, of course, huh, um, yeah. is, is, is it's extra tricky because not only she isn't uh, sticking up for you, mm -hmm. that's one thing. If she, if you could clearly, if she could clearly tell you, I'm not going to stick up for you because I'm afraid or I don't want to take responsibility. At least it's clear. It's mm -hmm. terrible, but at mm -hmm. least it's clear. The problem is this: the playing the innocent 
oh, honey, you just need to let it go. It's just you gaslighting. You know what else I would get? If it mm-hmm. wasn't just let it go, it was you don't see behind the scenes, I'm fighting for you. I go in the bedroom and I talk to him and he see, do you see he doesn't talk to me for three days? Do you see what I'm doing for you? And I'm just like, the fuck? Yeah. So it, if yeah. it wasn't the, it's okay, sweetie. It was like, you don't see all the things I yes. do for you behind the scenes. Yes. yes. And that's a sign of emotionally immature parents and not being able to take responsibility. Honey, you're right. Period. Honey, yes. I see what you I see what you're saying. I'm gonna or deal with it or get a psychologist or whatever. You're right. That's but the, then you need to have an inner safe space, you know, a sense of self, sufficient sense of self to be able to take the blame. Otherwise, mm-hmm. we were go- gonna end up covert narcissism, mm-hmm. playing the victim. I'm doing all this for you behind the scenes. You should be grateful. The you should be grateful is an emotionally immature response because you're not taking responsibility. You're blaming the child then for mm-hmm. complaining. And that's what fucks us up basically yeah. then. Yes. I see myself now and I have aspects of both as is normal. I have aspects mm-hmm. of both my mom and both my dad. And so it's like I see that come out in the in the ways that it did with my partner Zaz the other day that we were discussing before. And yeah. I also see it pop out when I will I will do things like my mom does where it's like, you should be, you should feel grateful that I'm doing this for you. You know what I mean? Those types of things. How can we start to heal and allow a healthy disapproval? Like, because sometimes people are just going to disapprove of us. Sometimes people aren't going to like us. How do we know what's just normal disapproval? How do we handle that in our minds without turning it inwards? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great question. And you know, I'm, Unfortunately, it's a tricky one. First of all, there's the theory that I'm posting on. It's good to know the, the, the relationship strategies. Healthy relationship strategies is very important, especially if you've been raised with emotionally mature parents or enmeshed in dynamics. Um, meaning that you, you need to be aware of the fact that everyone is responsible for their own emotions. You are not responsible for your parents or someone else guilt tripping you when you set, set your boundaries, for instance, mm. or when you call them out. These are the basic rules. So you need to be to expect also when you start setting boundaries uh, and speaking up, you need to ex- expect that emotionally immature people won't, be, not everyone, but I'm just saying, yes. um, uh, won't be able uh, to handle, not every person is able to handle uh, your boundary setting because it may feel threatening to them. Your individuality might feel threatening to them or insulting or their fear of abandonment or fear of rejection might be triggered because of you speaking up. So you need to expect that you will be disapproved and you won't be liked by everyone. And that can be a sign of you sticking up for yourself and your inner child. Mm. The next question that I have for you is about another one of your posts, and I think it goes along really well with what we're talking about. You posted about the alien self, and I'm just going to read a tiny bit of it so that the listeners can understand. You said, a child born without a sense of self learns from their parents mirroring who they are. With emotionally immature parents, a child will therefore view themselves as bad, a burden, unworthy, or useless. This inner critic will be haunting them, only feeling safe when being perfect. And I resonate with this so much because, as we've talked about before, and I think a lot of children with BPD were often called attention-seeking, manipulative, dramatic, too much. And I now 
suffer uh, from a raging inner critic. And I've been doing a lot of work on developing a more kinder and more caring, you know, inner voice as we talked about before. But something I want to point out to the listeners and I want to get your perspective on is that I've had to do a lot of work looking at myself as a child. Like there's no such thing as a dramatic child, as a too Mm -hmm. much child, as Mm -hmm. a too anything child. It happens when we become adults, then we need, then it's a problem and we need to deal with it, right? Because it can help us become more inner, like better personally. Yes. But that's something I'm really having to sit with. And something else that I want to tell the listeners we often with BPD go, Stephanie, what do we do? Give us things that we need to work on to Mm. fix. But what I want to tell the listeners, and I'm so curious because you are a professional at all of this, I believe that I don't have BPD anymore. I don't meet the criteria anymore. And I have done that purely through self-awareness, through looking back at my childhood and proving to myself that I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. And and that requires a lot of reading. It requires a lot of self-awareness. But I would love it if All of you listeners out there who are just constantly going, I need to get a diagnosis of BPD. I need to get into therapy. I need to do this. Like, give, and then go to therapists and and present with this like clinging, like fix me vibe. That's not the point of therapy. It's just someone that can help you reflect back these realities so that you can go home and start doing the work and unraveling what was done to you as a child and realize, oh, I wasn't crazy after all. It's slow work every day. There aren't fixes. Is that right? This is beautifully described. This is exactly what I teach my clients. The way that I work is um, mainly mentalization-based treatment. And we struggle with mentalization in BPD. Yes, but but it's not only mentalizing. There's one very important aspect, which is the the basis of uh, mentalization-based treatment. And that is exactly what you're describing. The point is not doing this, 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 or homework or whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, or someone else tell, telling us what to do. Tell me what to do, right? They're always asking, tell me what to do and I'll do yes. it. But the whole point and what you're describing is this, connecting you to your own agency. Mm-hmm. That's it. That is the goal of therapy. And I think those of us with BPD have a really difficult time because the core of BPD is that we believe we're trash, right? We believe we're a horrible person. Yes. And so to unravel that belief, the the goal of people with BPD is sitting down in the therapy chair and saying, Stephanie, fix me because I'm a horrible person. They don't know that Mm -hmm. that's the belief behind it, but it's like, Mm -hmm. fix me. And so I would imagine that must be so difficult as a psychologist or a a mental health person to go... How do I tell you that's not the goal? You're actually not yeah. trash. <laughs> yeah. You're not a bad person. So, so basically what you do, connecting people with their, their own agency is the most beautiful thing you can do. Mm. Because the, the only thing you do continuously is you go back to the client and you ask, you, you, you just ask the question back or uh, if they're uh, upset with it. I had a, once I had a client and I, I gave her the advice of perhaps like, uh, because the trauma therapy wasn't working and I thought that she would really benefit from mentalization-based treatment or some other kind of integrative treatment. And then I mm-hmm. said, because I think you might have borderline personality mm-hmm. disorder. And then, um, or, or she looked, she looked up about mentalization based treatment then, and then she came back and she said, so you're insinuating that I borderline, she was, t- she was furious. 
And then I ask this simple question after, of course, validating and calming her down, because there's yeah. no point when we're, you know, the hyper aroused, there's no point in engaging. So we need to calm down. That goes for me. That goes for everyone. After mm-hmm. I calmed her down, she was calm. I asked her this question, and it's a very pure question, which connects you to your agency. What is wrong with board having borderline? Mm. And that, and then, and these kind of questions force you to just look at the truth without any judgment. Mm. And you just validate your own experience. And then she was thinking, and then she said, and then she calmed, she calmed even further down. Then she thought, yeah, I understand perhaps it's not the best news because you don't want to have a disorder or whatever, Mm -hmm. but what is the worst thing about it? And that is connecting someone to their agency instead of saying, Mm. oh, but borderline isn't that bad or for this, but no, I don't go there. I just Uh. ask them to think for themselves. You tell me, what is the problem with it? I don't engage. It's their agency I'm connecting them to. Fascinating. And I think it's important that people with BPD know, A, therapists have to ask you these questions. They have mm-hmm. to, they, they should be reflecting back on you or encouraging you to develop a sense of agency. The point of therapy is not to go and get them to tell you what to do. Yes. Yeah. And I think often we expect that we want yeah. someone to tell us what to do so desperately, but it's actually yeah. not the best thing for us. No. And you know what the beautiful part is when you see the beginning or and the end of a treatment, which is a long treatment, like a year and a half or two year and a half years. But it is beautiful to see how in the evaluation process, they are able to mentalize and they're able to reflect themselves and create their own uh, judge, have their own judgment independently of me. And they just fly out the door, you know, more emotionally independent, more connected Mm. to their own, to their agency. They connect to themselves for the first time in their life. And that's, I love that. So my passion basically to, to sum it up, is for, to help people understand themselves. Mm. Because especially with borderline, they don't understand themselves. They don't understand what's happening. And they're craving for understand, understanding. They are. Being understood and also understanding what's happening. So that's yes. the most beautiful present you can give yourself to learn to understand yourself. You talk a lot about emotionally immature parents. Can you explain for my listeners... What does an emotionally immature parent look like and sound like? People reach out to me and I talk about BPD development and they're like, oh, I never had any abuse in childhood. I had all my basic needs met. My parents took good care of me. It actually took me a really long time to unravel all of these things because I had all my basic needs met. Um, My parents never let us go without. I grew up in a white middle-class family. My parents were both teachers. I wasn't rich by any means. I came out of my childhood experience with A, no understanding of what a healthy relationship looked like, no understanding of how to self-soothe myself, never had any type of emotional mirroring. And now I'm realizing like the profoundly negative impact that can have Mm. on me um, as a person. And also it's insidious because it makes you think everything was fine growing up. What's wrong with me? Right. And so everyone has parents that maybe don't get along or da da da. It's like all these things can start. So you talk so much about gaslighting and emotionally immature parents. And I would love to hear you elaborate on that. And I think this is a very important topic because that's what I mean, exactly what you're described. That's why I call it hidden trauma. This is Mm -hmm. a term that I I created. Uh, I've never heard of it, but I just want to highlight that you can have the most amazing uh, parents 
meeting all your physical needs, um, but not um, being able to meet all your emotional needs. And there are several types of parents, emotionally mature parents. Basically, the, 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 the damage in all categories ends up because it's totally different types. But the damage to the child is exactly what you're describing, is in the end, the child will feel that there's something wrong with them because the parents lacks the full maturity for developed sense of self to be able to take responsibility, the more narcissistic type parent and the more borderline type, type parents will have their emotionally needs wanting to be met, being wanting emotionally to be cared for by the child, expecting the child to take care of them. Yes. So in the end, so the, the hidden trauma of the emotionally mature parent's child is that in the end, they will be feeling that there's something wrong with them, that they're or selfish or ungrateful or not worthy, uh, not good enough, not perfect, etc. That's, oh. that's it. What you're saying is resonating with me so much, like with my dad, right? I would express need or say something, right? Which would be like, yeah. this dynamic is, however I used to say it as a child, yes. this dynamic is fucked up. Wow, dad, you're being mean. And no. my dad would rage. And then I would fight, fight, fight. And my parents always used to say to me, you always have to have the last word. But the thing is, my dad always had to have the last word. I remember so often going into my room and crying myself to sleep. And then Mm -hmm. I remember my dad would come in in the morning sometimes and cry to me and literally Mm -hmm. say, I am so sorry. I, you know how I was raised. And my dad was raised in a very physically abusive environment to where no Mm. child should ever have to endure. Mm. So like my dad went through hell as a child, uh, Mm. but my dad would come into my room and cry to me and say, I'm so sorry. And those would be the moments I would look forward to so much as a child because in that time I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not bad. I'm not crazy. My dad loves me. But yes. then, the, but then the moment that I would be frustrated with him again, everything would fall apart, and he wouldn't love me again, you know. And so mm-hmm. it's like I grew up going, always wondering, like, Oop, I better not say that this doesn't seem right because then they're going to be mad at me. And mm. Molly, this is important for people to understand. It's not that these parents are bad. No, they're not. Okay, they're not. So, no, no, no. And I'm not saying that you're saying mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But I and I'm not saying also not, I'm not saying to people that they shouldn't be angry with their parents. Okay, mm-hmm. anger is the first step of grieving. We cannot bypass the anger. If they messed up with us, they messed up, and I don't care if they are emotionally mature. What their childhood was, mm-hmm. they should have gotten help. Whatever. Okay. So there's no excuse. But what I'm trying to say is that, for instance, your your dad. What you're explaining is. When we have a fragile sense of self and your child calls you out mm-hmm. to be able to call it out and to handle that, you need a, a, a decent inner safe space. If you don't have that, what you will be hearing is not your child saying "Dad, be reasonable. They will hear you're worthless. They will only experience a personal attack. So you, me, everyone, if we would, I mean, most people, if we would perceive a personal attack like that, like you're worthless, you're, I'm going to drop you like this, I'm going to cut you off, whatever. If someone would tell you that, how would you respond? Would you respond really like, oh, honey, yes, I understand. No, you would fight back. You would attack back. And that's what happens with emotionally mature parents. Uh, There's different brands. They will just attack 
back, but the child doesn't understand what's happening. So they will perceive it as, you know, that they are being wrong because in the, in the eyes of the emotionally mature parent, the child is provoking them. They cannot understand that the child doesn't have the ability to have bad intentions towards them. I had such a tumultuous relationship with my parents. And I think as a child, it started off like I was a very expressive, dramatic, like wild little girl. There's a famous video of me, childhood video of me as um, my little sister's first birthday. And I was about three and a half and I'm in the background doing cartwheels. And I was going, why isn't anybody clapping? Look at me, right? Like, and my whole life. My my family made a joke out of that. Molly's always wanting someone to look at her. Even in your little sister's birthday, you, it, you're trying to make it all about you. And that me- is the message I received as a little girl was like, when in reality, I was just like, please look at this amazing thing that I'm doing. And that transformed into me as an adolescent where I just fought back and I was so angry at my parents. I started shoplifting so much stuff. And the funny thing is, is when I finally got caught shoplifting, I couldn't Mm -hmm. even tell my parents because I was so terrified to tell them that I had to bring Mm -hmm. my best friend with me to court. It's so easy for us to go from like little child, look at me to raging out of control shoplifting person. I want to paint the picture of how messed up that can make someone. Do you know what, what makes you emotional while saying this, this It's because I think that it's really hard not to wonder what I would have been like if Mm -hmm. I had parents who would have just been parents, not always made me feel like everything was my fault. And Mm -hmm. I just wonder what I would have turned out like. I I, I struggle with this so much and it's a miracle I've gotten to this point because I really give myself so much credit for what I've done. But even when I started this podcast, my mom's like, is that a good idea? Do you really think you should do that? I've just been surrounded by this messaging of like, I don't know. And if it was, if it wasn't, maybe you shouldn't, it was like explosive, angry or too much. And so it's like, I feel like I've grown up and even though everything's around me, I have these screaming people in my brain that I can't escape from. So what you're describing, Molly, is that you have that what makes you emotional is that you realize that you've had to um, reconnect to your own sanity. Yes. And even being around them now, I had such a healing moment. My parents came to visit me in July, which is the first time I saw them Mm-hmm. since all this pandemic stuff happened. And ironically, the pandemic is when I really started taking my recovery seriously. I made a post about ACEs, you know, like adverse childhood experiences. When my parents were here, my mom said to me, when we were at the store and my mom said, so I saw that you posted about ACEs. I calculated what your score is. And I said, first of all, mom, you can't calculate what someone else's ACE score is because it's my own perception. And so it made me start feeling really angry. Mm. And then when we got home, I sat my parents down in my own house that I'm sitting in and I said to them, enough is enough. Like we need to talk about this. Like if we're going to have a relationship, I need you to just listen to me. And I need you to understand that I was a child at the mercy of your emotionally abusive and unhealthy relationship. And I won't 
tolerate it anymore. I need you to understand that. And I screamed, I think, for probably 15 minutes. And to give my my dad credit, my Mm -hmm. dad sat there and took it. And he Mm -hmm. said, you know, I can – my dad admitted that he probably had BPD. He Mm -hmm. just apologized and he listened. My mom often cries when I'm Mm -hmm. calling her out. And then my dad will go, don't make your mother cry. You're being Mm -hmm. too harsh on her. Right. Ah, So that's the manipulation tactics that's going on. When my mom cries sometimes, I start to feel like a bad person because I don't have the same reaction when my mom cries as Mm -hmm. other people crying. Because I grew up seeing my mom crying as a way to just like save herself. So that's interesting. I'm still angry at my mom. And, and Molly, that's interesting what you're saying, the crying that can be killing to a child and that mm-hmm. it's, it's basically guilt tripping. But mm-hmm. I want to come back to something that you said uh, earlier, the, the example with you being a child and, you know, uh, wanting the attention or whatever. So I, I created a post once and it was something like the emotionally mature parent will uh, guilt trip the child or, or will make the child uh, feel they're wrong for calling out um, their unmet needs, which Hmm. is the result of the emotionally immature parent. So suppose, hypothetically speaking, that in your case, you were not seen enough. Mm -hmm. You were not validated enough. Your your mom perhaps unconsciously made you feel insignificant. I don't know, but I'm just saying, suppose that there was a need, an emotional need from your side to be seen more. Okay, then that means that that was a deficiency from the emotionally mature parent, right? Okay, Mm -hmm. so that's their problem. They should get help for that or whatever. So what will happen with an emotionally mature parent instead of acknowledging that? So emotional maturity is thinking, so why is she asking for attention that much? Am I not giving her sufficient attention? That's emotional maturity. But what will happen with these dynamics, hidden trauma, they will throw it back at you. He might not be able to deal with that, or there might be different kinds of things. So they will make you doubt yourself. And that's what, what the tricky part and feeling guilty and bad, et cetera. I absolutely think that there was like a subcon. I don't think there was a conscious thing from my mom. I don't think my mom ever was like, I'm going to bring you down a peg. You know, exactly. like I don't. I don't believe that whatsoever. I believe my mom actually really, really wanted the best for me and loves me so much. I had very positive responses from adults as a child. My grandma, uh, she loved that I was theatrical and extra and she would sing with me and mirror that back to me. I wanted to be a singer. And I told my parents when I was 16, I sat them down and I said, I really want to do this singing thing. I'm really good at it. And I am a good songwriter. But I sat down with my parents and they said, do you know the percentage of people that actually make it in music? It's very, Mm -hmm. very small. That was another explosive moment with me and my Mm -hmm. parents where I was just like, what? They had been driving me to my choir practices for 10 years. They had been, you know what I mean, supporting me and taking me on all my trips and paying for me to go all these places. And I had described my big dreams to you and you're going to shit on them? Exactly. Yeah. So confusing. Yeah. And that's an example of, because you asked me in the beginning, what is an emotionally immature parent? An emotionally immature parent will act out of their own need instead of 
regulating their own emotions and their own ego and their own feelings of unworthiness and their own fear and then uh, focusing attuning to your need and this reaction is a great example of your mom responding out of her need or fear came up shit what if she won't make it what if she won't be successful and I think that's what it is with my mom is my mom wanted to protect me from what she saw as an inevitable failure. And she wanted me to make a backup plan so that I would be safe. Exactly. So that's her ego, her own feelings of unworthiness. In any case, this is her need talking to you presented as if it's for your well-being. And that's the fuck up. Does it make sense? Yes, it makes perfect sense. I know that my parents will probably listen to this as they've Mm -hmm. listened to a lot of my other episodes. I really think it's either we want to like blame our parents and cut all ties or we have to make excuses. You can still love your parents and really, really know that they were trying their very, very best, but we have to as adults confidently yell back at that critical inner parent and say, that was wrong and say that. Yes, It's so important. Yes. Because if we don't do that, do you understand, Molly, if we don't do that, what the the consequence is to ourselves, if we don't put the responsibility, place the responsibility, put it back to where it belongs, the emotionally immature parenting, Mm -hmm. then we will blame ourselves. And that's what happens with all of us with BPD. I say we all believe at the core that we're bad. I say we're a trash person. (laughs) Like just, yeah, like there's, it is a miracle that anyone wants to be with us, wants to be friends with us. It is like by the grace of God, like we have no impact on, we're just so lucky that anyone wants to tolerate our presence, quite frankly, is how I feel. Which which is so painful, Amali. Yeah, it is. And I'm breaking through that. You know, I don't feel that way anymore. And I'm really Mm. proud to say that. But I know that I have so many listeners, A, that have just been diagnosed and they're just feeling like that. Or there are parents who are coming to my podcast and the amount of parents that message me and say, I'm trying, your podcast has really helped me understand my child Mm. with BPD. It's like, Mm. this episode is going to be so pivotal for parents Mm. to hear it. It's like, don't feel called out. Don't feel like you're a bad person, but please, for the love of God, like understand your own trauma and the impact that it can have on your kid. And even if you are meeting all of your kid's physical needs, you Mm -hmm. could be destroying them emotionally. Absolutely. And I think it's it's also very important to, to understand emotional immaturity in general. That's why I'm posting so often on emotional injuries and what they look like. You, you, know, you gave a couple of examples of the, how, how the parent can respond in a way that makes you feel that you're wrong. So that's the first one of the first steps. Then it can be very beneficial for you to understand emotional immaturity, which means that we're acting out of our ego instead of other person's needs. The example with your mom is a beautiful example because on the one hand, the way we describe it, it seems very mean. Of course, mm-hmm. it's not nice to tell your child, are you sure you're going to do that? What you want to is to regulate your own feelings of fear or whatever, and then focus on what your child might need. Honey, do you feel good about it? Then you have my support. You need to separate those two. So you need to understand that when our ego gets triggered, that goes for all of us. And we're not aware of that. We're going to act out of our ego. How do we know 
whether or not we're reacting from our ego or if it's genuine. So many people with BPD have asked me, and it's myself too, when we, I like to say there's two phases of BPD. One is before you know you have it. (laughs) And so you're just like a a bull in a china shop reacting and you're like, why is my life such a mess? It's uh, everything's happening to me. Why has this happened? Then there is, you, you realize that you have BPD. And then sometimes the second phase of hell begins because everything you do, you start going, is this the BPD or is this what I genuinely want? So how do we figure that out? And and you put it well, and I realize, is it ego or is it my my genuine, intuitive, full body want to do this? How do we decipher between that? Great question. Great question. And I was thinking I'm coming back on this topic because we were discussing this earlier. Emotions. Okay. Emotions. What are our actual emotions and what are our BPD emotions or what are our narcissistic emotions? Basically, the distinction we're making is what are our natural emotions like scared, um, angry, sad, joyful, happy, or our ego emotions. Okay. And with ego emotions, I mean our core outdated core beliefs. Okay. You, You will abandon me. You don't care about me. I'm unworthy. I'm a failure. I'm only good enough when this blah, 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 blah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when, so, so that's basically the difference in schema focus therapy is focusing a lot on that is focusing on the mode, uh, the mode that like the angry child, that this child, that that, which basically is a um, disproportionate reaction to things. Yeah. or feeling abandoned uh, or, you know, not, not love, not taken care of. Well, actually it, it is. So basically what you want to do is start differentiating your actual emotions from um, the ego slash the core beliefs. For instance, uh, often what you will see is fear, underlying fear. Yeah. And we will think we're angry but often that's not the primary emotion. Anger can be our cover-up emotion. For instance, I'm going to give you an example. That's also, I posted on emotions and I give this example. Uh, suppose your boss criticizes you, says, Molly, uh, I'm sorry, but you, you're not performing well. This, 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 you screwed up. Okay. A specific example. Mm-hmm. That you can have an emotion like, what the fuck and how dare you and uh, you this, you that, okay? Well, Stephanie, I can tell you this exact thing happened. So it's great that I have a perfect example because a a client, um, I work in tech, a client called me, like they had to cancel a call and a client called me like 10 times in a row at Mm. at nine o'clock on a Friday night. And it pissed me off so bad. And so I emailed her, very professionally, but I just said, it is clearly not a good mutual fit. We don't, we are not going to be working with you. Like you kind of like, you surpassed my boundary, da da da, right? I sent that email to my boss and I said, we're not like, please respect my decision. We can't work with this client. (laughs) This client was like probably the biggest client we could ever get. And I didn't even realize that at the time, but like I reacted. And so my performance review came up and my mm. boss, he respected my choice then. And thankfully, like he walked it back. And now that person is our client. And I will tell you, 
I've made really good friends with that client now. And now we like get along really great. And I realized Mm. and I found out she has a, a mother who's living with her because she just fell. And like she was probably going through something horrible when mm-hmm. she overreacted to me. But anyway, mm-hmm. my boss came back to me in our performance review and said, Molly, I rate you so well. Your work is amazing. He's like, but I need to be able to know that you'll be able to like regulate your emotions and mm-hmm. clearly see the opportunity for us because I have a stake in my company. I own part of our company. I have mm-hmm. stock in our company. He's like, I need to you to know that – I need to, to be clear that you can put your – personal offenses aside to see the strategic vision of the company and know what to do. And Mm -hmm. Stephanie, when I tell you, I was like, so that's when my heart starts going. And I just want to be like, I feel so ashamed. I feel like I fucked everything up. But then I also feel like, fuck you. She was mean to me, you know, but I had to swallow it. And my boss and my partner have been what I have seen as reparative relationships for me. Mm. My boss, he has seen me lose my shit, Stephanie. I've Mm. cried to my boss and he stays and maintains boundaries. He sees what I'm good at. This example that you're bringing up is perfect because I have such a hard time taking that criticism. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I hope that's a good... uh, That's a great... This is a great example. And uh, it's a great, great relationship that you have with your boss, by the way. so lucky. Don't forget that the reason that you have such a good relationship with him is because you apparently also have a very mature side, a very reasonable side that he can talk to. Mm-hmm. So it takes two to tango. It's also your own, your own, your own. Uh, it's also your own credits. Yes, that is an example. We, as you described, you become angry, like excuse me, and this and that, because yeah. <laughs> perhaps what happens, especially with borderline, you might have immediately the fear that you are otherwise a, re- a really bad person, or that the fear of failure, the fear shits. If this is true, and then you go black white thinking. I'm a failure. I might, they might reject me. They might, you want, they might, you know, um, exactly. fire me. So, but then that is too unbearable. And you're preparing yourself. Like in that yes. moment, I'm going like, okay, that this is it. I'm going to lose my job. Like, I know it. Yeah. I know it. And he's like, no, it's just, this is just like, let's, exactly. this is just but for the least, future. At least, <laughs> at least you were, be, you were able to go also to understand that there was an underlying fear, but there's yes. a lot people that stay in anger with it, with the anger. And I'm going to give you an example of emotionally mature parenting. I'm, uh, I, this, I know this amazing person. She sent out her child, her son, 10 years old, and the little daughter to go out for ice cream. And then something happened that didn't go really well. It was a little bit of a dangerous situation. And the girl was, you know, laughed at or something. Uh, anyway, so they came back. And then, so the girl was, uh, was, was crying mm-hmm. because she was upset. It was, it was, everything was okay, but she was a little bit upset. Her brother didn't stick up for her because he was terrified as well. The mother, she got so frightened without her realizing that she became angry towards the son. Mm-hmm. You should have, you should have stood up for her. You should have, you shouldn't have just looked at it and just allowed them to attack her. They said uh. something, some bad words to the girl and you shouldn't have done that. You should have stood up for her. And then he needed to apologize to the girl. But okay? then what about the boy? Exactly. Like so what about him an, being like, wow, I'm so bad. I should have protected my sister. I was scared. What about him? You know what? And this is hidden trauma. This mm-hmm. is hidden trauma. 
So now the parent, uh, this this woman, who is a great mom, just just this is so yeah. important for people to understand. She is a great mom, but the problem is with what happened with her own. She wasn't able to regulate her own emotions or her own ego. So probably yeah. what happened underneath the anger, the blaming, we will blame someone when we cannot take the responsibility ourselves. Because actually, a healthy response would be, shit, I have put you two in a dangerous situation. And that was my responsibility. Honey, I'm so sorry about that. And to the son, how was this for you, honey? How was it for you not being able to stick up for your own little sister that must have been traumatizing. Because also the person I would imagine in this situation that was being mean was probably an older person than the little boy. Exactly. It was a teenager. You must have been so scared. It was terrible. Exactly. But this is what will happen with an emotionally immature behavior, parenting. It's so easy. Like as a parent, it's like, of course, that would be your reaction. You should have stood up for your sister. What were you doing? It's like, we don't see... Yes. What that little boy yes. is then going, oh no, my fear is bad. It's bad that I was scared. It's like, it's understandable yes. you were scared. Those were big kids. What could yes. they have done to you? Yes. And it was probably the right thing that he said nothing. Exactly. Him. So he prevented from worse, from happening worse. Yes. Right? I will tell you a really good example of this. My partner, he will always say, I don't fight. I will identify the situation and often the best thing to do is to be passive, say nothing and remove you from the scary situation because Mm -hmm. we've been in situations where my partner where I'm like, why didn't you stand up for me? And he's like, that's not the best thing for you. That is not Mm -hmm. the best thing I could have done Mm -hmm. for you. It's even more simple than that. Because mm. now you are justifying it which because you're trying to make a, a sense of it. And you're right. But I think it's even more simple than this. Mm. Your, your boyfriend or your partner can just uh, respond with because it felt that way. That's it. That's what that was my feeling. That yeah. was my fight, flight, freeze. That was yeah. what I was feeling. And if you choose to take it personally, that's your responsibility. Okay. Yeah. Very, very and, good. Exactly. And to get back to that, to that example with that parent, you know, blaming the child, the son afterwards, when I spoke to her, she said, Oh my God, I can't believe you're so right. And then she said, I feel, she started almost crying. She said, I feel so bad for my son. And how can I, how can I apologize? Because I don't want to scare him either. So that is a beautiful process. Mm. That's an emotionally mature part of the parents being able to reflect on that. But the essence is this. We cannot meet any other person's need that goes for you, that goes for me, as long as we not regulate our own needs first. We need to put on our own oxygen mask before we help someone else. So in this case, this woman wasn't wearing her own oxygen mask first. Her own oxygen mask would have been, oh my God, what am I feeling? Anger. Is that only the cover-up emotion of perhaps fear? So it's Mm -hmm. not only fear of something dangerous might have happened. I'm talking about the ego fear. The Mm -hmm. ego fear is I let my child, because she was a very perfectionistic mom, you know, an amazing mom needed to be Mm -hmm. always a good mom. Um, So then it's extra hard to take the blame. And Mm -hmm. then, oh my God, I failed because yes, I made a wrong decision. 
it's by the way very healthy to make wrong decisions because you don't want to be an overprotective mom but yes so her fear she didn't put her oxygen mask on to tell herself oh my god i'm so afraid because now i feel like i'm that i failed mm-hmm. and then and then giving herself oxygen by saying i may have made a wrong decision in hindsight but i'm a good mother as soon as you regulate yourself that way then you're able to take responsibility and meet your child's needs. Sweetie, tell me what happened. This was my mistake, my responsibility. How are you feeling, honey? I'm so sorry about this. So, so powerful. I've had very natural anxiety about becoming a parent. You don't have to be a perfect parent. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. Inevitably, we will snap at our kids. We will, things will happen. But to be able to constantly mirror to a child and ourselves, it's okay. It's not your fault. You're not a bad person. Things are complicated. Trust. If that's what your gut told you to do, there's nothing wrong with it. All of this hidden trauma that you speak of caused me as a child and then as an adult to develop a complete disconnection from my gut instinct, from my intuition, from what I felt like was right and wrong because I grew up with like in a war zone of being told, nope, what your gut is telling you is not right. And then I'm at risk of passing that on to my child if I'm not cognizant of it. We just have to be constantly present and allow ourselves to screw up while being a good person Yes, and, and being able to say, sorry, honey, how was that for you? Kids respect that so much. Why do you think that the times I remember most with my dad are the times when he came into my room crying as a full grown man and saying, you know what I went through as a child. I do not know what I'm doing. I prayed to have daughters because I was scared of what I would do to a boy. Like he, he sobbed to me and said, I love you more than anything. I would do anything for you. I'm so sorry. The impact my anger is having on you and the brief times as a child, I remember loving my dad so much and having so much respect for him. And one day when my dad's not here anymore, I'll remember those times. Mm, yeah. Wow. And I didn't intend to get emotional about that, but it's just like, I feel like the whole world has borderline right now. Everyone is black and white and mm-hmm. it's either you're a good person or a bad person. Yes. And it's yes. just not true. And I speak about Jordan Peterson. Everyone wants to say, oh, Jordan Peterson's a horrible person. Like mm-hmm. screw him. He says anti-trans things or I'm just so tired. Can we all give each other a little bit of grace? Like no one is perfect. And can we please try to go a little bit further than the behavior? Can we try to look at someone's intention? We must stop breaking people down and trying to shove them into good or bad boxes because it is so damaging. Doing that to our parents, doing that to ourselves. Where's the gray area? Absolutely. And it's not only towards the other person, it's towards ourselves. If we are going to black and white and he's bad or good to other people, we are robbing ourselves from being able to think in a gray way. Yes. And that's my biggest challenge for myself now. And I will tell you, Stephanie, and I hope that everyone out there really absorbs this, the people with BPD and and the parents of Mm -hmm. people with BPD that are listening is 
find the middle, please, please find the middle. No one's trying to say that you're the best person and no one is expecting that you're the worst person in the world. Mm -hmm. Please find the middle, like give yourself some grace, give your child some grace. Oh, (laughs) yes. Hallelujah. Amen. God, right. It's really that simple. Like, don't forget that you're the parent. They're the kid. They're not yeah. trying to make call you out and say you're a bad person, but maybe your kid's doing the best thing that you could ever have happen, which is like calling out that maybe you're doing oh, yes. some of the shit that your parents did. Yeah, exactly. I would love to have you on the podcast again in the future to just continue to unpack the post because you're always posting amazing things. I want everyone that listens to this podcast to follow Stephanie on Instagram. Her Instagram is psychologist Stephanie. You're doing amazing stuff. So what's next for Stephanie? So I have a full-time job and working with clients and I want to do another postgraduate program. So I just want to learn more and more. And from Instagram um, and and my my Facebook page, basically I just will keep on posting uh, inner healing, family dynamics, the ego work. I just want to reach as many people as possible and just spread spread the message just like with you. and also now I started a, a second account, uh, Psychologist Steph, and I will be focusing specifically on relationships. Amazing. So yeah, that's I'll, that's. I'll it. link both of those so the listeners can follow them. And I do hope okay. that you'll be a returning guest one day. Yes, I would really. Love I love that. this, Molly. I love this so much because I have a lot of experience, you know, talking about this topic and with my clients, and I just I'm very passionate about about this topic. And this was amazing to do, to to talk about this. So yes, I would love to come back. My goal with the podcast is to have more professionals on and to speak Mm. about my experience. So many people can't get into therapy or are kind of paralyzed with their trauma. And the reviews I get on the podcast are, oh, when I listened to that, I had this realization. Those little realizations from people like you, from people mm-hmm. like Sirut Chala. Do you follow her yes. on? Yes. Oh, I love her so much. She's amazing. You and Sirut and Barlas, who I think you also follow, yes. accept and act. And I'll link everyone. Your three accounts were so instrumental for me in my mm-hmm. just realizing like, whoa, self-awareness, self-awareness. I must like dig into these things. And if my podcast can bring voices like yours to help other people have these epiphanies, because recovery journey is also so personal. You can't just prescriptively say, meditate, do this five times, do this. No, have your epiphanies and then trust your gut. I could just be on this soapbox all day long. Ah, in closing, those people who've just been diagnosed with BPD, what are your words of advice for those people? As for the stigma, um, try to separate the title or the perception that you have from specific behavior. Borderline is not necessarily the negative. It's the specific behavior within borderline uh, personality disorder. And then you need to check with yourself, do I have that specific behavior that bothers other people? then if so, then perhaps you can regulate that so they it won't affect them that much. Separate stigma, whatever, from specific behavior and then take responsibility for that behavior. If I don't want to be called aggressive, then I should stop hitting people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. If I'm not hitting people, then I won't have a reputation. So we need to take part of personal responsibility. I think that's that's important and, and separate yeah. the stigma from we're not a bad person. There's no such thing as a bad person. There is 
defense mechanisms there is emotional immaturity mm-hmm. and we just try to get become more emotionally mature that's yes. all we can do i say it in my podcast intro is that my goal was to become an emotional grown up yes. that's what all of us have yes. to do all of yes. us have to focus on becoming an emotional grown up and if you have bpd i'm going to go on record it's a 100% chance that you are not an emotional grown up and that doesn't touch the core of you you are yeah. a beautiful human being on the inside. You're not an emotional grown-up. There are totally ways that you can learn to become an emotional grown-up. And I'm living proof. <laughs> Absolutely, Molly. Molly. And to add to that, you just need to see it this way. But when you grew up, it wasn't emotionally safe for you to be able to mature to the max. Mm-hmm. So you stayed at an emotional certain level, child level. That wasn't your fault. That was the emotional situation. And my parents too, they grew up in their exactly we have to see it like the russian doll situation it's like it literally is just that's it so not being a grown-up doesn't mean that you're bad or whatever it just means that you didn't have the emotional safety to fully mature and now that you are aware that you haven't fully matured you have the opportunity to continue that maturity and it's not impossible and it can be a very empowering realization i realized that i was like oh my god okay I can do this. And now that I've learned about it, I'm going, whoa, I'm a really effective person. Now that I'm healing these things about myself, my work is better. I started this podcast that I never thought that I could do. I'm off of six different psychiatric medications that I was on. I'm not taking anything anymore. I'm not saying anyone should not take medication because they're very important. And they got me back to a baseline. But for me, I wanted to experiment with what it would feel like just learning to feel those hard emotions so that I could work on them because my antidepressants really numbed me out. And I wanted to feel them so that I could work with that stuff. It's possible. It's so possible. And look at you, Molly. Perhaps one of the biggest changes is, and I'm not sure you, you should tell me, is that you are able now to take yourself seriously, right? Yes. 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 That's so true. That's interesting that you say that. I feel like I am an effective, good person doing my best. I can say that and know that it's true. I'm not perfect, but nobody is. And I'm doing my best. And I, my hope is that for everyone listening, that they can have the blessing to get to that point because that's all anyone's expecting of you is just to be an emotional grown up doing your best. Yes. Yes. That's all. That's it. <laughs> well, thank you yeah. so much, Stephanie. This has been so amazing. This was, this was amazing. We're going to do this again. Yeah, oh. I would love that. Wow. Thank you all so much for hanging out for this whole episode. And I hope you got a lot out of that. I certainly did. Now, if you want to support the podcast, remember that I just launched the Patreon. So if you go to my Instagram, which is BPDT, B-P-D-T-E-A, click the link in my bio and you can subscribe to my Patreon and support all the work I'm doing for as little as $5 a month. So, you know, that's like two cups of tea, BPDT, get it? All right, that's enough cringy jokes for me today. I will go ahead and roll that outro. All right, that's it for today's episode. I just want to thank you so much for listening. 
out of all the podcasts in the world, you chose to listen to mine. And that's amazing. And it means a lot to me. If you like what you heard today and you want to be notified as soon as each new episode drops, I got you. The best way is to follow my podcast. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts on an iPhone, you'll want to search Back from the Borderline, click into the show's homepage, and then click that tiny plus sign in the upper right-hand corner of your screen. It will turn to a check mark, and then you are officially following the podcast. Now you'll never miss an episode. If you love this content and this podcast and you want to support me as I continue doing this, following the podcast is the best way to do that. If you want to get access to detailed show notes for each episode, connect with me on socials, or reach out to collaborate, you can find all that and more at backfromtheborderline.com. You can also connect with me by writing a review in Apple Podcasts. Do you have a specific question you'd like me to answer or a topic you'd like covered on a future episode? Start with an honest rating or review of the show, and in the body of your review, include the question or topic you'd like me to address. It is my hope that you have the most amazing day, but if it isn't quite amazing, I hope at least our time together made it a little bit better. All right, until next time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.